Hello and welcome to the Writing Talk podcast. I'm your host, the writer Michael Campling, known to friends as Mikey. And this week, after a brief skedaddle through any bits of news I might have, we're going to launch into the main topic of how we go about writing our Amazon product descriptions. And then we will have a writer's toolbox section at the end. Welcome to the Writing Talk podcast, the show that helps you to build your skills as we go on our writing journey together. Okay, so I've had quite a busy time. One of the things I've been doing is revamping my, what we might glamorously call my home studio um, setup. So I've forked out for a a new microphone, a new sound interface and things like that. And I thought perhaps uh, as I've been going through all that, might be interesting for those of you who are thinking of having an author podcast or recording ebooks or recording readings for your for your fans, any of that kind of stuff. I'll have uh, a breakdown of all that in another show and I'll just try and run through uh, the bits that I know. You know, I, I can cover the basics and um, I'll do that for another show. Also been getting some of my books uh, recovered, redesigned. And I must say, I'm really pleased with the results. Uh, got a couple of the mysteries done so far. And the designer called Patrick Knowles here in the UK is a real professional. I've done quite a lot of homemade covers before. And although I don't mind uh, sitting down and learning new software, I quite enjoy it. And I've got a certain amount of kind of visual skill. I'm quite interested in photography and design and things, but I'm not a professional. And when you set a really nice professional design alongside a homemade one, it really does make a difference. So um, really worth thinking about if you possibly can budget towards getting your covers done professionally in some way, whether that's a, a pre-made or whatever, whatever you can find. Um, because just a difference, even in even a bit of typography and a choice of font and choice of just letter spacing, things like that, that most of us don't know much about can make or break design. So really worth, um, really worth looking out. And I found my designer through Reedsy, uh, the marketplace there. And, you know, that's a really good way to find designers. That's probably the only way I would recommend at the moment would be to go through Reedsy and have a look and see what they have got on offer in their marketplace, because that way you can kind of, um, you know that the professional has been vetted and it's not just somebody you've sort of randomly picked off the internet. Anyway, with that, we shall get into our main topic. Okay, so there can't be many writers, I don't think, who don't in some way kind of hate writing the product, can't even say it, who hate writing the product descriptions for their books. And I'm going to use that word rather than blurb because that can be a bit confusing with words that they use in in trad pub, um, which often includes kind of, well, let, let's just not even go there. Let's just not call it a blurb. I'm going to call it a product description because it's what it is. Um, and you've got to remember Amazon is a, a store, it's a shop. So uh, we are we're displaying a product and we need to show it to its best advantage. What I'd like to do is just kind of take a step back from your product description. And I'm indebted in this approach to Brian Meeks, who some of you might have heard of. He does have a book, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, which is called something like Mastering Amazon Descriptions. And he's he's out there round and about. You'll find him online. You'll find uh, various, you'll find him being interviewed on podcasts and so on. And 
he kind of opened my eyes to the idea that uh, your product description is kind of a form of sales copy. And how you get good at sales copy is, of course, the way you get good at any kind of writing. And that's just by practicing it a lot and forcing yourself to do it. So now you might think, well, I don't really produce that many books and I don't update my product descriptions that often. So I'm not going to get a lot of practice. Well, here's where the thing comes in. The approach comes in and tells you that you should hone those skills because what is sales copy? Every email you write, every newsletter you put together, every blog post you write, every Facebook post, every tweet. You can practice those skills. You can make every word count. And the difference between sales copy and, and ordinary sort of rambling writing or ordinary prose is really that it's the kind of Formula One world of, of equivalent of uh, of writing. It is totally stripped down. It's not the kind of writing that uh, has much in the way of frills and fripperies. You're using a very short, very small number of words to kind of pack as much punch as possible in the same way that a Formula One racing car doesn't have, you know, doesn't have a stereo and all those other kind of nice things. So not to get too carried away with my analogy, um, the point is that we are really trying to trim this down and we can practice those skills in our tweets and Facebook posts, posts and so on. Not in the sense of buy my book, buy my book, because everybody hates that and it certainly doesn't work. I think surely everybody knows that by now, but it does not work. Um, but in the sense that we want each word to not pull the reader along by their nose, but to invite them on, to invite them into your world, to invite them to explore your next sentence. So the first few words are there to get the reader to read the rest of the sentence. And that sentence is there to get the reader to read the second sentence and so on. We're trying to invite people in and say, come over here. It's great. You know, it's wonderful. I have things to tell you and you're going to love them. That's really what we're we're trying to to do, isn't it? And so we can practice those in our in our Facebook posts, in our blog posts and so on. We can do things like experiment with white space because that is really quite an important thing. If you look at uh, the world of advertising, you'll see lots of white space adverts that catch your eye, you know, big posters and so on. Might be a huge white space with like two sentences on, you know, a really small number of words that just catch your eye and stick in your mind in some way. That's the kind of thing we're after. And, you know, if you're going to go to the effort of writing a Facebook post, well, if you take a bit of time and effort over the, the copywriting side of it, maybe people will actually read it as opposed to, oh, yeah, there's another one. Oh, look, what's that? It's a cat. Oh, right. I'll do that instead. There's a dog in a treadmill. Let's look at that instead. You know, we need to be good at this stuff. In in the world of social media and online media, the written word is still very heavily out there and we need to be able to put it down so that in such a form that when somebody sees it on their phone, on their tablet or whatever, that they are instantly grabbed by it and want to carry on reading. So, yeah, I mean, why why tweet if nobody's going to read it? Why, why do a Facebook post if nobody's going to read it? We need to be practicing those skills. And I must say, you do kind of get in, once you establish that mindset, you do get into it and it does become a bit easier as you go on. One of the things I like to think about is a, a kind of a so what test. Um, it's very easy to 
put statements down in your product description which seem fascinating to you because it's your book and you wrote it and you just spent months slaving away at it. But anybody else is going to look at that and say, oh, well, so what? You know, okay, it's about such and such and such and such. So what? Who cares? Who cares if the hero moves to somewhere or other and sets up, I don't know, a beekeeping business? Who cares? So what? Um, that might seem like the most uniquely wonderful thing to you, but um, to, the, to the casual browser just scrolling through 500 books on Amazon or what, whichever, whichever store we're talking about, um, do they really just want another ho-hum description which kind of introduces the character, introduces the setting? Not really. So what are we trying to do? We're trying to attract attention and we're trying to provoke um, an emotional response. And it's quite interesting that just by the choice of words and the construction of our sentence that we can accidentally kind of encourage the wrong kind of response. We don't want people to be wondering what it's about in the wrong kind of way. Um, we want people to be intrigued. There's a difference between looking at something and thinking, I have absolutely no idea what this guy's going on about or this uh, this woman's going on about. And, um, and the really good product description where somebody's going to go, oh, okay, that, that sounds, uh, that's a bit interesting. That could be good. One of the things that people often try as a, a kind of quick trick is to, um, to use questions. Questions can work, but you do have to be careful with them. Um, you can make it sound a bit as though you don't actually know uh, yourself, how the story is going to turn out, which can be a bit odd. The sort of inference there is, doesn't feel good. Um, you know, I, I want to feel as, as a customer looking at your work, I want to feel from the outset that you kind of know what you're doing and that I'm in safe hands. So don't make it sound a bit as though you don't know what's going to happen in your story. Uh, the other kind of question that I think is a bit dodgy can be the sort of, uh, if you enjoy such and such, you'll like this. Well, I guess that can work in some instances. You see people use it in ads quite a bit. I'm not sure it really hooks me in because it makes me think, well, do I enjoy that? Am I a fan of such and such? I think, mm, I don't know if I am. And my brain's immediately gone off in the wrong kind of, um, the wrong, wrong little spiral. I'm going off, I'm questioning uh, my own kind of motives rather than... Um, well, then thinking, oh, yeah, let's let's read on. So, yeah, questions can work, but um, I think they've got to be intriguing. I know the one that everybody always quotes is the one by Adam Croft, where he was saying, would you uh, would you sort of I can't remember the exact words, but would you kind of sacrifice your wife to save your daughter or something like that? And a lot of people were quite engaged in that. It's a direct appeal to the reader. There's an emotional response there. You're kind of saying that the stakes could be high. You're inviting the reader in that case to empathise with the situation in the book and with the characters in the book. That's what's going on there. And that, I think that's why that works. So that invitation to empathy, I think, um, works work or certainly can work really well. But other kinds of question that just seem a bit there for the sake of it. Not so much because people people don't want to be sort of asked a lot of uh silly questions 
it's um, it's a bit like, you know, when you get the telly sales, you answer the phone and somebody said, somebody sort of tries to start off with a question just because they have this thing in sales that if if they can get you to say yes you'll sort of be used to saying yes and further down the line you'll you'll say um you know you'll say something you'll buy you'll agree to buy double glazing or something so those kind of pseudo questions um we used to call them when i was teaching pseudo questions where where the person isn't really interested in the answer um i don't think particularly work that well for people but appealing to emotions, appealing to their curiosity. Uh, we're all quite curious uh, type people. So um, appeal to that and, and give people a little, you know, flirt flirt with them a little bit and uh, give them a shy smile across the room, flutter your eyelids and um, say, come on over here. You know, everything, come on in, the water's lovely. Um, that's what we're going for. We're just trying to really, we're really trying to make it appealing. Um we are trying to make your product description be like the kind of uh, a wonderful showroom, that kind of experience. We're, we're not we're not talking about the sales till that can come later. We're not talking about anybody handing over any money. Uh, we need to invite them in first with a, you know, by having a, a, a lovely window display to get them into your showroom. A lot of people talk about some kind of quite formulaic one approach which can work if you find something that works and it works for your niche and your genre then then that might be worth doing but just bear in mind um that if you're going to do that you still have to do it really well you still have to practice at that because if uh, i don't know say everybody in military sci-fi or something is using the same kind of product description and as a, a reader going through that looking for a new book to read i've just seen 10 or a dozen books all with very similar descriptions i'll just kind of give up probably or I'll just, and, you know go back to picking somebody i've already heard of instead of this new person um so just watch out for that i think i think there's a time when where you, you can use a formula but you still have to innovate within the limits of that formula uh, because some people say okay you know introduce the character introduce the stakes that kind of thing as a, as a general approach does work, but it still needs to be interesting within that and see if you can do it in some kind of hinting way rather than revealing too much. I would say that I wouldn't particularly try to copy what they do in, in the world of trad pub because I think they work in a very different way and in a very strange way on the whole um, based on not much in, at all. Uh, and a lot of it goes by the author's name i think in the world of trad pub so that there are lots of um really bad product descriptions and that's not why anybody's buying it they're buying it just because it's got a famous author's name on uh somebody that the public already recognizes and so they can get away with quite a shoddy description quite often it seems of course they'd sell more books if they worked on their description as well but they don't seem to get that a lot one thing that, that we do in the indie world is we're good at testing things. We're good at thinking, OK, well, how can I check this out? And you see quite a few people uh, out there who will do things like get your product description and put it into something like a Facebook ad um, and see how it goes or an AMS ad and test it out. And that way you can spend, you know, you can spend five dollars, five pounds or something and have a look and say okay well out of a thousand people who've looked at that bit of description how many have clicked and then you can try another one and then see if you get you know how many what percentage of people will click through 
and that gives you a fair uh, a fair idea and you can actually test several at once so it, it's very kind of uh, time efficient and it could get you it could get you a product description that really works and i think that's got to be better than just kind of following something that's a formula and then saying job done which a lot of us tend to do i mean a lot of us probably don't spend much time on it and a lot of us don't spend much time on our copywriting but i'm going to come back to that because i, I might be sort of banging on about it a bit but really it it does make a difference and the things that i found easier were things like um as i went on my email newsletter became better because i was thinking more about how I was i was doing it and after a while because it's something i do pretty regularly i found that i was using copywriting techniques without even thinking about it much so it might be you know a, a short sentence to kind of draw people in something that kind of attracts attention in quite a nice gentle way and maybe gets a nice response uh, and then I'd leave a blank line and then I'd have, a, you know, perhaps uh, two or three sentences and they could be slightly longer sentences, sort of leading somebody into something. Then I have another space and then perhaps a short sentence and and so on. And then doing nice little tricks. I find myself doing nice little tricks like um, opening my newsletter with uh, a remark and then ending it with a remark that ties back to the beginning. So I can say... Oh, well, I'd better get back onto such and such. And I find that, um, you know, get back to the thing I mentioned at the beginning, if you see what I mean. So you can find these little techniques that will make your life easier as an indie author, just really through practicing. And you will discover what works well for you by just doing it over and over and over. And when you write a facebook post or a tweet uh, no matter who it's to i mean it doesn't matter if it's to your great aunt mildred i mean why shouldn't she have something uh, interesting to read um you know uh, why why not if we're writers let's make things that people want to read that people sit up and say this is intriguing this is interesting it made me laugh or it made me cry or it made me think or we want things to be good so let's make them good and by just doing that all the time we will get better at it um, and we'll get better faster and faster. And before you know it, these things will become a habit and we'll be able to knock off a good book description in no time at all. So practice those skills whenever you can. And just an analogy to think about here that a lot of us like to over explain things. We feel that people won't understand. They won't know about our precious project unless we tell them all about it. And I think it's very much like when you make a meal for your, your loved ones, your nearest and dearest. Um, I don't know about you, but I really find it hard to stop myself as I give people the food. I find it hard to stop myself from saying, oh, it's this and I put such and such in this. Oh, but it didn't quite turn out how I wanted. I ran, ran out of paprika or I forgot to put the garlic in or Oh, I think I've burnt such and such a bit or I wish I'd cooked such and such a bit much. You know, I want to over explain and kind of excuse. And nobody wants you to do that. When when you're getting a meal from somebody, the last thing you want to hear is all the ins and outs of how it went together. You know, it's, it's just going to spoil your appetite. And yet so many of us do it. We can't help ourselves. We just we just end up kind of feeling like we've got to explain things. And if you think about the old um, 
idea, which I know they're still doing some fancy restaurants, of where they bring your food to the table covered in a dome and then they lift it up at the last second and ta-da, a bit of theatre and you know, smoke comes out and things these days. Um, that is more what we're going for. We are going for creating that intriguing silver dome that we just know there's something delicious underneath and then we're sort of revealing it and saying, ah, it's fantastic, it's wonderful, you're going to love it. And then kind of walking away and leaving them to buy it. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're managing um, expectations up to a point. But really, that's not the be all and end all of what we're doing. Yes, we want to appeal to people in the right genre to, to find those readers. But we're not doing it by just telling them and saying, you're going to like this. You're going to love this um, because they'll kind of think, well, I might not. Um, what we're doing, we are enticing people. If you have one word that you kind of take away from this, what your product description should do is entice. So think about your work. Think about what is at stake for the characters. Think in terms of big picture, you know, as in as in like themes. So that can be worth mentioning rather than say this is this kind of book and this kind of tone. Can you hint at that tone? Um so the tone of your product description matches the tone of your book. So I don't think it's unreasonable to expect if you've written a humorous book that your product description should be kind of funny. Um, I think if you're, uh, you know, if, if you've written more gentle romance and I would expect the tone of your description to be to be gentle and and to sort of pull up my heartstrings a little bit and so on. If your book is full of action and it's a thriller, then I would I'd be um, I would be quite happy to be left in suspense by uh, by some of the things that you say. Um, if it's a horror book, I would expect to just to, you know, have the hairs on the back of, back of my neck um, stick up a bit. So that's how you go about it. You don't sort of bash people over the head with it, but you you use the tone of the book and of the genre in your description. So you're trying to take people into your world and into your book and invite them to enjoy it. All the time you're practicing economy. It's the kind of Formula One uh, race car approach. So we don't have lots of uh, fripperies on a race car. We just are all about power. So every word has got to pack a punch. Every word has got to be there for a purpose say just enough and no more do not over explain and have fun with it play around with it set aside a block of time to do it because so many of us rush into a product description say there that's done thank goodness hit publish the book's gone it's away it'll be fine that's what a lot of us do we kind of think well it's taken me so much energy to get to the finish point i'm at the finish point now and you haven't quite crossed that final tape you need to keep running I'm afraid you need to keep pumping your fists and uh, and go a little bit further because you until somebody hangs that gold medal around your neck it ain't over so we need to just keep going we need to set aside some time have 10 goes at it I don't know that's not unreasonable you know have a good few goes at it walk away have a cup of tea walk the dog or something Come back and have a look at it or even look at it the next day. And I bet you can improve it. I bet you 
look at it and think, well, I didn't realise that my first sentence actually could be read in another way and it could sound kind of mopey or kind of dopey or, <laughs> you know. Um, it's funny how we, we think a sentence can be read just one way, but then going away and looking at it again a bit later, you realise it is actually open to a different kind of interpretation. And you've really got to, got to watch out for that. You cannot afford to have that kind of misunderstanding because you have got milliseconds to catch people's attention. So it's really got to work and it's got to make people stop and think. As to what is going to work for you, I don't know, because you've got to just keep testing. You've got to keep trying out um, and try out on others as well. If you can um, perhaps use some of the writer groups or things like that, you might be in uh, and ask people for feedback that can work. It can also sort of lead you down a garden path. Uh, you'd be surprised how good others are at this kind of thing. And because we're all readers as well. So it might help if, if it's the group is kind of genre specific. But if you're in a group, of, you know, if you're a sci-fi writer and you group with other sci-fi writers and you can say, what do you think? This is military sci-fi or whatever it happens to be. Um, what do you think to this? And just see if people say, yeah, I'd read that. Um, then you know you're onto a winner, and if they come back with a lot of questions and um, and so on, then you might need to go back and have another think. And with that, we'll go on into the writer's toolbox. Okay, so in the writer's toolbox this week is another little bit of software that I've come across quite recently, and it's called Plotter. So that's uh, P L O T R. And I will put links in the show notes. And this is an affiliate uh, link. I did sign up for their affiliate, but it wasn't as if they approached me. I heard about the software. I looked at it. I tried it out and I decided that it was something I could recommend. So I asked to be on their little affiliate scheme. So if you do buy it I'll, um, from my link, I'll get a you know a little, a little reward somewhere down the line. Um, it's, it's not an expensive piece of software it is for outlining and planning and it can coordinate all your notes um, and so on together I have tried various other outlining bits of software before and I've not really got on all that well with them but I I do uh, think this is is worth a good go if you decide to get it just notice please that um, although they say you can renew after a year to continue getting updates. The software will carry on working indefinitely. So it is a one time purchase and I much prefer that kind of thing. I don't really recommend subscription software to anybody because if you think about it over a year, over five years, over 10 years, it can work out very, very expensive indeed when you think how much you might be spending for it. So. For an initial outlay, you get to keep this software forever. It's quite bright. The guys who are, have put it together are, 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 seem to be working on it and updating it. And they've got some interesting ideas with what to do with it in future. Um, it all seems fine to me in terms of usability and stability. I didn't have any trouble using it. It comes with some templates which you can use or not. Uh, it's up to you. You can even uh, use it to kind of add several books in a series, which is an interesting idea. And as I've got a, a new book to start soon, now that I've finished my um, 
previous mystery project, I am going to be using Plotter to have a go at plotting it out because mysteries are one kind of book where you really need to know who is where and when. And hopefully Plotter will allow me to keep everything neat and tidy and together and in an organised form, which I'm in danger of, of not doing otherwise. Um, yes, you don't have to have it. You can get away without it. You can put everything into one big uh, one big text document if you like, and that, that can work perfectly well. I don't think you need anything with too many bells and whistles for plotting and planning. I think the simpler it is, the better. And on the whole, I am liking what I've seen so far of Plotter. It seems to fit into that nice sort of um, happy place in between uh, too simple and too complicated. It seems about right to me. So I would recommend having a look at that and just decide if it's for you. Okay, that wraps it up for this week. I hope that you have found something interesting. Please do consider subscribing to wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And you can find what we have in terms of resources and so on over at the site at writingtalkpodcast.com. I've just started a page actually for resources and so I will be linking there to any resources that I recommend and I'm not expecting there to be a huge number of them because I, I wouldn't kind of recommend something that I haven't actually used and experimented with significantly myself. So there'll be a few things on there which I'll be recommending and I'll probably expand, expand that a bit over time uh, and they can be all kinds of things like books and software and, and tools, anything like that. There might be even a few services over there. Uh, they'll be clearly marked if they're affiliate links and so on. So have a look at your product descriptions. Have a tinker with them. See if they are short and sharp and clear. Do they intrigue? Do they entice? Do they draw us in? Do they catch our attention? Could we just tinker with them and... It, Add a bit of white space, add a few sort of carefully judged little words to um, to nudge people from one sentence to the next while hinting at the genre and at the tone of your book. And apart from that, keep scribbling, keep tapping away at the keys and while you're doing it, keep smiling. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>